The Convention Collective, in conversation. Senior Editor Dan Berry speaks to Chris Dumoulin, CEO, Kamikaze Entertainment. Hi, this is Dan Beer with the Convention Collective. I'm here with Chris Molin, the CEO of Kamikaze, who runs LA Comic-Con, kind of talking about the upcoming show as well as some other stuff that they have planned. So Chris, I know that you guys just had a microcon in April. Um, do you have plans for any more microcons coming up? Yeah, we've been talking about it. I think the first one, um, we were happy with the way it went. We learned a lot about how to do hybrid digital stuff, um, which was part of the, the purpose, because I think all conventions are gonna to need to be increasingly uh, combining digital options with live options as we go forward. Um, and uh, yeah, the fan feedback was really good for the people that came. Would have liked to have had a few more people there, but you know, the first time you do any event, it's always, uh, you know, that's the biggest challenge is getting, is, is turning out the crowd for something new. But uh, you know, we had several hundred people there and the, the folks that came had a really good time, the talent had a really good time. And so, yeah, I think we're gonna look at doing another one maybe in September as we lead into the live event in December. Got it. Now I know with LA Comic-Con or yeah, LA Comic-Con coming up, what do you feel sets that kind of part as a destination con for people to travel to? Well, I think the thing about a really good con is that it, um, it really reflects the city that it's in. And so with LA, you know, LA is such a unique uh, mashup of pop culture because uh, so much of American pop culture comes from here and celebrities and the beach and, and the skateboarding lifestyle. So I think what makes LA different is that we have, I think a broader mix of, of celebrities who show up and things that you can do when you come. I think the artists that we bring in reflect that. I think, um, you know, we always end up with about um, between 600 and 700 exhibitors and artists and you get a really nice flair for LA with that. Um, and then, you know, A-list talent. You have to have some great people. Frank Miller's never come to our show before. Um, uh, Giancarlo Esposito is coming this year. He's never come before. So I think you always have to um, have, have some of the fan favorites um, to fuel the nostalgia of, of uh, why people go to cons, but also some people that are in very current um, entertainment to sort of keep it fresh for everybody. Now, I know you guys have already started announcing some guests. Um, what are you the most excited for about the, this year's live con? Well, okay. So me personally versus us as an organizer, me personally is my my staff, the whole team will tell you I'm a I'm a huge SpongeBob fan. So anytime Tom Kenny's able to join us, I'm thrilled. Um, pushed me right back in my family room 10, 15 years ago when my kids were little and we all used to sit on the couch and memorize every single episode. Um, I mentioned Frank Miller. You know, Frank is a giant in the comic world. He's never come before, and I think that'll be, um, you know, with 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 Stan's passing. Frank is really one of the giants, the legends in the business. And so it'll be great to have him there. Um, you know, we also have Giancarlo Esposito, who's got an amazing resume, uh, but most recently with Mandalorian coming to join us. And we're looking at hopefully bringing in some other elements of Mandalorian and Star Wars to build that out. Um, uh, and then some, somebody like Zach Levy, who's really sort of exploded in the last few years, um, especially with Shazam, uh, for him to come for the first time, I think is exciting too. So um, the thing I... I have to say though, the thing that I, I think everybody should do is look at the guest list. Because the thing about a good con is there's always going to be one guest or one vendor 
who's selling the thing that is most meaningful to you, um, that, that special show from your childhood or young adult uh, times with, that just has so much emotional resonance to you. And it's when that celebrity is, is there that it may not mean as much to everybody else, but to you, that's the world. And I think to me, that's, that's the fun of discovery at a good convention is that you have a, an, a really eclectic variety of, of celebrities there for all the fans. Now, I know it's been almost, by the time the con rolls around, it will be almost two years since your last one. Yeah. How will this year's LA Comic Con be different from the one you guys did in 2019? Well, yeah, it'll be, we did October of 2019 to December of 2021, so it's a long time. One of, the, one of the big things people will notice who've been before is that we're now um, using the entire convention center. So we've spread out, we, in the past we were in South Hall um, and sort of outside of that, we're now spreading out, we'll take over all of the West Hall, all the other conference rooms. Um, and so uh, we'll have a little more content, but we're also gonna spread everything out because nobody really knows exactly what the um, LA Department of Public Health guidelines are gonna be for um, density at big events at that point. So we want to make sure we have tons more space so we have the ability to spread things out if we need to. Um, and I think what that will mean is that, that that South Hall, which is where most of the exhibitors are, and it's probably where the main stage will be, but so uh, autographs and photographs will have their own separate hall. Uh, registration is going to have its own separate hall. We'll have an entirely different activation going on in the West Hall. Um, so I think you'll find there's more stuff there and you can really get around and, and see it because it's by being spread out, the crowds won't be as intense in any one place. So you're basically going to do what you had originally planned for the 2020 con where it's spread out more, that way there's a lot more space. Yeah, I think we're definitely going to take the whole convention center. The only difference versus the December con that we had planned last year is we'll, um, we'll probably be able to have more content in, that, in those spaces. So we're, we've got a couple of different things we're working on right now to bring um, whole new activations into some of those areas. Um, so we won't have to use them just for social distancing. We'll actually be able to use them for um, for fan content. Now, being that COVID, uh, by, hopefully by December, will have ramped down quite a bit. How confident are you of a strong turnout this year compared to the 2019 show? You know, it's hard to know exactly what it's going to be compared to 2019. I, I absolutely believe there will be tens of thousands of people who come and buy tickets. Um, and, you know, until we actually get to the event, we're not going to know if we're you know, we had 123,000 people in, in um, that was the total attendance in 2019. Um, and I think it could be, it could be that, it could be 10 to 20% less than that, and it could be 10% more than that because there's so much pent up demand. I think the thing we wanna make sure that we do is we understand what all the guidelines are and no matter how many people show up, we're prepared to handle them, we're prepared to process them quickly, um, get them in, get them on the floor, um, provide a safe experience for them, um, and, uh, you know, so that everybody who does come has a great time. Now, we took a couple of questions from some of our um, viewers and readers of the site. One of them asked about the um, wrestling area. Any chance, and they were basically complaining that it was too close to the, some of the actual comic creators and artists, and it was tough for them to hear. Is there any plans for the wrestling area to move to a different area or not be there at all? You know, I'm not, we're still talking to, to a couple of different wrestling folks right now. We haven't finalized anything, but I would love to get that feedback if you can send it to me that because that's that's one of the things that you um, as I recall in 2019 that came in kind of late we didn't have a lot of options on where to put it so if where it was was awkward with 1.2 or 1.3 million square feet of space we definitely have the space to move it someplace that'll uh, that'll be best for the fans to enjoy it and another one of our um, readers basically um, 
ask this question. Um, LA Comic Con usually has excellent, excellently created major and independent comics representation through the comic bug with the bug pavilion. Are you looking to continue fostering and improving those relationships with creators? Absolutely. It's, I think it's one of the most important things that what we do. I mean, we, um, we'll probably have um, anywhere between 250 and 350 artists who come in and we, for artist tables, we have a lot more than a lot of other shows because there are so many creators in LA. And um, I think that feeling of, you know, as you, you turn down an aisle as a fan and you find something there that you've never seen before, that sense of discovery and, and wonder and delight that you found, you know, a great new artist or a great new, uh, you know, collectible vendor is just, that's a huge part of what it means to come to a convention. So we're 100% dedicated to that. We've worked with Comic Bug and a lot of the, the uh, different comic shops in the area. Um, we, we, they give us feedback on artists that they think are great and we provide free tables to some of those people to make sure that they can come. So yeah, we're 100% dedicated to making sure that the, that the local artists have every opportunity to come and put their stuff in front of the fans and let the fans find them. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of your show is the huge amount of artists that are there just from bigger name artists to independent artists, ones I would have probably never heard of if not for a con like you inviting them. Right. No, it's, I, I, as a fan, I totally agree with you. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. Now, do you have any, I know it's a little bit early for, to talk about programming, but do you have any programming plan or, that would promote or analyze um, POC or gender diverse stories? You know, I think what, one of the things we try to do is we have more panels um, because of the space that we have. We have more panels than most shows. So we'll have as many as 160 different panels. And getting that kind of diversity is super important to us. It really, from the very founding of the show, we've been um, very dedicated to being a completely open and inclusive environment, making sure that um, you know, everybody across the LGBTQA spectrum has the opportunity to come and tell their story. And uh, as an artist and as a fan, to come and have a completely comfortable and, and accessible experience. So um, when we, what we'll do is when we're ready to, to um, have submissions for panels is we, we make sure that that goes up far and wide. It's on all of our social media. We send it out to partners so they can put it on their social media to invite people who have ideas for panels to come in. And, um, and making sure we have that diversity is one of the, the, uh, the factors, the filters that we always use in trying to choose the 140 to 160 panels that we have. Now let's talk about um, your con versus other cons, being that your con is probably going to be the largest con in all of California and probably close to the West Coast other than Emerald City this year. Um, what things do you think you can concern in the future to try and compete with other cons like San Diego and New York Comic Con? You know, I personally don't think cons compete with one another. Um, there are very few cons that draw more than uh, five or 10% of their attendance from outside of, you know, 50 to 100 miles around the city. So cons, I think, really tend to be fairly local things. And that's why I think the ones that do a really good job of reflecting their community, we try to do that. I think um, Seattle does a really good job with that. I think Portland does a really good job with that. Um, I think those cons, um, I think we can all flourish kind of at the same time. What, what I would love for us, you know, our aspiration is that when people think about Comic-Cons in the United States, they think about San Diego, New York, and LA, and then they think about all the other ones. And so, you know, we really would like to be in that sentence um, with those two big guys. Obviously, San Diego kind of started it all, um, and New York in the last 10 years has really um, flourished and grown and become a, a terrific destination. I was actually at their show uh, in 2019, a week or two before ours. Um, 
And but but I don't think of it as competitive. I actually think, um, you know, we by and large that most exhibitors that come are somewhat local. Almost all the, the attendees are local. Um, the talent sort of figures out where they want to go and what their schedule is and has to fit with their shooting schedule and where they live and all that. Um, so I think by and large, you know, we can we should be trying to help each other more than think about competing with each other. Now, being that aside from the San Diego Comic-Con special edition that may or may not happen this year, um, are you planning on having any bigger names and vendors like Weta, Workshop, Hasbro, Lego, Disney, et cetera, at your show this year? You know, we reach out to those guys every year. Um, we would love to have them. Um, you know, we, we are a very user-friendly organization to work with and, you know, would, like, would love them to think of us as their hometown con and the place that they can come and kind of do whatever they like. So um, I think over, we are going to have a couple of big exhibitors this year that we've never had before um, that I'm not ready to announce yet, but I will in the next several weeks. Um, and I would, you know, we would love to have one of the, um, the big studios, the big producers, whether it's a, a Mattel or a Disney or a, um, a Netflix come and really, um, you know, we've got, as you say, 1.3 million square feet of space. There's so much room for them to do fan activations. And so, um, so they're welcome to come. I think the one thing that'll be interesting to see, and you know, I worked at Disney for a long time. And when you have conventions on your schedule, you just sort of go to the same one or two things you've had in your budget every year. Well, now none of them have happened for the last two years. So everybody has a chance to sort of step back and say, which are the ones I really want to go to? Not necessarily because it's the one I've gone to for the last 10 years, but because it's the right one for my business, it's the right one for my fans, it's the right ones for my properties. So I hope in that light, um, everybody will take a fresh look at Los Angeles Comic Con. Now let's talk about the con scene post COVID. Um, how, is, how is LA Comic Con preparing for the enhanced health threats that have postponed cons for so long? Are you gonna require vaccination proof? If not, how are you gonna ensure COVID adverse conditions in closed spaces? You know, we don't know exactly what the, the specific tactical details of our strategy is going to be yet because the show's not for another six months. What I will say is that we, um, you know, going through the whole process last fall, we developed a great relationship with the LA um, Department of Public Health, the County Department of Public Health in the city. And we were in almost daily contact with them in terms of what, where, what they were projecting and what were all the guidelines that we needed to follow to be safe. So we'll, we'll do the same thing this time around, we'll also look for cues from um, the CDC or the state from Sacramento, but we'll just make sure that whatever is being recommended as being the safest thing that could be done, we'll do that or more. And, um, and so I, I, I've tried not to guess what those things are gonna be because I think really what's gonna happen is we're gonna see uh, vaccinations and things sort of as that progresses between now and September. And probably in September, they'll start to really formulate what they want um, the bigger conventions, the bigger events to follow for um, for fourth quarter, and so we'll just we'll do that. Whatever is required, we can handle it. Um, from you know, we were prepared to do the most rigorous things for literally every single person that's that was going to come on property um, last year. So we'll just do whatever is required. And what is the post-pandemic con organization talk to you guys in terms of how you're planning ahead? You know, I think that um, a couple of different things. One thing is. Um, you're going to see a lot more integration of technology into the things we do. So our main stage panels and probably the next four panel rooms um, are all going to be broadcast streaming live so that um, people who either they don't feel comfortable coming to the show or they don't live in Los Angeles, but they, they think the content's really cool, they have more easy access to that. Um, we had some great experiences with the digital meet and greets around the microcon. And so I think we're going to expand that 
um, both for talent that can't come into the show for various reasons or for fans that really want to meet that talent, but they can't come into the show. And so I think you'll see a lot more uh, integration of, of digital broadcasting and digital elements of the, the core parts of the show. We even did it from a shopping standpoint. We developed an online mall. We developed it with a video game developer. So it was a kind of a fun experience to walk through and shop. Um, and we, you know, we, I think we've got close to 100 vendors on it now and, and hope to have, you know, two to 300 of our vendors up on it in time for the show. So I think our lives, what we all learned is that we can live a lot of our lives digitally, but we still want to get together in person. And so what we want to make sure is that for the people that come in person, it's an amazing, unforgettable in-person experience. But for the people who want to sample some or all of what we do at the con digitally, that they've got an easy option to do that as well. Now let's talk about you as a fan. What are some of your favorite fandoms? I know you mentioned Tom Kenny and SpongeBob SquarePants earlier. I am, you know, I have, I, there's a couple of them. I think as a, as a father, there are a lot of those sort of Nick cartoons from um, the 90s and the early 2000s that, you know, are indelibly part of me. And I, I have two kids, they're 21 and 24. And when they were little kids, that, those shows that were, that were great for the whole family to sit and watch, um, they have a special place in my heart. For me as the, the lifelong nerd fan, um, I'm a, I'm a, I've always been like a hardcore Lord of the Rings guy, probably read the entire series 15 times. Um, I worked in the movie business for a while, had the opportunity to work with the C.S. Lewis estate um, and Walden Media creating the Chronicle of Narnia's movie, movies uh, 10, 15 years ago, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, and Dawn Treader. Those were amazing experiences. And the core fan in me is a, is a Marvel Comics fan. Um, I, I uh, actually, I've told this story. I, I had, when I was uh, in college, I had a, a collection of the, every Avengers comic that had ever been made up till that point. Every edition, every annual, every giant size, everything. And when I was in college, I ran out of money. And in order to pay tuition, I had to sell my collection. And wow. I look back on it now and it's just like, I had to do it, but oh my gosh, I wish I still had those comics now. Not for the value, just for the amazing, you know, the stories and what they meant to me. And would have loved to have sat down and you know shared them with my kids. Um, so getting to meet Stan, uh, getting to work with Stan for a few years, I mean he was just such a hero of mine when I was a kid. Um, was really a dream come true as a as a sort of grown up business person, um, and um, and seeing sort of how Marvel storytelling has flourished in the last 10, 15 years, the brilliant job that Disney and Marvel have done with it. Um, it's just exciting to see. I mean I really think that. In, in some ways, the, those Avengers movies made the world safe for nerds like me because suddenly everybody realized they're great stories and there's something in them for everyone. And, um, and it sort of made the, the world safe for those of us that sometimes see ourselves in a cape or a mask. <laughs> um, you mentioned MCU. Have you watched the first episode of Loki yet? I have not seen it yet because I'm, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm actually in Mexico right now. Okay. And, uh, have been... Although this is nothing we learned during COVID. If you can bring your computer and a camera and your phone with you and have high-speed internet, you can work anywhere. Um, but no, I haven't had a chance to see it, but I thought they did a, a great job with WandaVision. It was so much fun. Um, Love to see the arc of how it developed and um, uh, it's brilliant. And I think on the other side of the Marvel house, I mean, I loved Mandalorian. I love what, uh, what Favreau did with that. And I just think it's so great to see a new generation of creative talent picking up those stories and taking them to new places, what a guy like Taika Waititi was able to do with Thor. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I think it's a really exciting time to be a fan of all these genres and to be a nerd and, and uh, uh, 
and, and to have our whole pop culture appreciate that much more broadly than they maybe used to. I know you mentioned Avengers Comitess growing up. Are you currently reading any titles? I do not read titles as regularly as I should. And when I, when I come across them, I devour them, but I have to admit, um, I do not. <laughs> and uh, I know you've been with LA Comic-Con or Comic-Cosky, I should say, since 2012. How has your role progressed over the years? Well, it's funny, when my, I first encountered it in 2012, I was working for a big trade show company called Advanced Star, and I managed a bunch of big business trade shows, the Licensing Expo and uh, an apparel show called Magic. And I was introduced to the Kamikaze team and we actually acquired half the show because I loved the, the, the founders had this amazing energy and I loved the idea of a show in LA by fans for fans, which is absolutely still our mantra. We're a show that's by fans for fans. And, um, and I, I love the idea that, that uh, you know, the studios ha would have a place in their own backyard where they could, they could roll stuff out and interact with fans. And so I got involved at that point as more of a, from a business side and I sort of oversaw the planning and the budgets and stuff. And um, uh, through a whole series of events, um, you know, my old company got acquired, the new owner didn't want to own consumer shows. They sold our half back to the Kamikaze team. Um, and then that team went through some change and I had left uh, the company and I got a call saying, hey, would you like to come in and, and run this full time? And I said, absolutely, love the show. So I came back in, uh, I guess, two, early 2018. Um, and um, so I feel like I've seen it from several different perspectives and, and uh, you know, was really fortunate to have the opportunity to meet those guys early and then have a chance to come back later and, and be more fully involved with everything. And do you have any other final words for our readers and listeners? Um, I, I wanna thank them. I wanna thank them for, hanging in there as fans through what this, you know, just incredibly difficult 18 months and, and just let them know that um, we are so excited to see them in person for the ones that want to come and the ones that don't, you know, big hug, totally understand. Hopefully we've got enough digital options for you to come see it. Um, I just really want to, I want to thank them. I want to thank them for being fans and for being such terrific supporters of LA Comic-Con over the years and, and you know, I really hope that um, we've picked a date that doesn't conflict with holidays and it's late enough in the year that, that most of the fans will pr feel pretty comfortable to come out and join us. And so, uh, you know, this pricing, we're, we just, we're Friday, we're kicking off what we call early bird pricing, but it's a 20% discount on our ticket prices for the three-day passes. And then after that, we'll do it for the one-day passes. And so just for people that wanna come, this is the best price we're gonna have, um, you know, plan ahead, uh, as I said to somebody the other day, you know, Father's Day is coming up to make a great Father's Day gift. Um, but mostly we're just thankful. We're grateful that we're here. We're grateful that the fans are here and we're really grateful that, and looking forward to welcoming everybody back December 3rd to the 5th. Cool, thank you for your time, Chris. Absolutely, thank you. Appreciate everything you do for us. This has been a production of the Convention Collective. Find out more about all the latest convention news and updates at theconventioncollective.com.